good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools to try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And that will get you to us from anywhere locally. But if you're out of town or that's right, happen out of state, to, that's right. You can always put a 225 in front of that, and that will bring you straight to us, and we can answer your question for you this morning. That's right. And we love hearing from folks out of state. And I know we get a ton of email and from people all around the country and basically all around the world. It's very nice to have a different perspective of what's going on around the country because you know things that are going on here are most definitely different than things are going on up north (laughs) well that's a fact and one of the reasons that i just love living in south louisiana is this gorgeous weather that we have particularly in the spring and the fall oh yeah that's my two favorite times of the year down here yeah not much to not like about this this is what about 68 69 degrees out sunshine and just absolutely gorgeous all the trees are starting to green up again yeah yeah and there's just so much going on there's always a festival here oh yeah something especially this time of year i know elaine and i going down to new orleans this afternoon and just kind of walk around the french quarter and just Find out what's going on. Oh, yeah, huh? just take in this gorgeous weather, man. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun doing that. Give us a call. It's 499-9526, and we'd be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we're going to phone lines with Matt. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have two questions about a 2004 Chevy Silverado with a 4.3 liter in it. All right, sir. Okay, and the first one is, well, I changed the oil a couple of weeks ago. I noticed for the first time there was them all coming down from the engine and okay. i think i know what it is and i was wondering i think it's probably the rear main leaking matt that is not common on that engine at all really those okay. hardly ever leak now i tell you they get misdiagnosed an awful lot uh-huh. we get them in a lot of times and someone has just changed the rear main seal and they still got an oil leak now they're bringing it to us and most of the time, and I can't say this is a fact with yours, but most of the time it's the actual where the intake manifold attaches to the cylinder heads in the back. Where it goes across the oil galley, there's a junction in there, and that's where they generally leak oil. If okay. not there, there's also an oil pressure sender unit that's screwed in right in the back next to the distributor, and they're real bad about leaking there, and that's a simple fix. Oh, okay. The third thing is the valve cover gaskets will leak on them. And, again, that's a pretty simple fix. But that's basically an old small block Chevrolet with the two middle cylinders gone. That's the same engine as a 350. They just cut out number two and number three cylinder and put the front and the back together and made an engine. And that engine just hardly ever had rear main seal problems. I mean, it just oh, okay. just rarely leaks there. But you got to remember, yeah. any oil that leaks is going to run down by gravity. And it's always going to drip right. off at the lowest point, which is right there where the rear main seal is. Okay. So what we do on a mat, to be sure, is we can get up there with a mirror a lot of times and inspect and find it. If not, we add some dye, some fluorescent dye to the engine oil, let it run about 20 minutes and come back with a black light, and it'll be real clear where it's coming out. I see. Okay. Well, what would one of those, like if I bring that in, what's the approximate troubleshooting cost on that? Matt, that would probably take less than a half an hour to find. It's $90 an hour. We charge in one-tenth of an hour increments, and that would be a half hour or less. It may take me 10 minutes. But it just depends. We bill everything we do by the time we spend. A lot of shops have a flat rate. They're going to charge you $90 whether they spend 10 minutes or whatever. We don't do that. We don't think it's fair. We really charge a man for what we actually spend. I'm not trying to profiteer. I'm just trying to cover my cost. And that's fair to everybody involved, and it's not going to take a long time to find that, particularly if it's a fairly significant leak. Okay. But that way you don't waste any money on something you don't need. Right. Okay. Well, the second question I have, and I heard you talk about it, I think, last week again or maybe the week before, Uh 
was about the, the speedometer and all the gauges going yes, out sir. due to mm-hmm. those servo motors. Yes, right. sir, that's right. Well, I can't really afford to take my display out and send it off nowhere right. to get it rebuilt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I could, but I can't afford to do it without my car. Yes, you know, sir. Mm-hmm. My truck. And so what would be the best way, you think, to get this thing fixed? Well, what we have been doing, Matt, we used to rebuild them in-house, but we've just gotten so busy we don't have time to do them any longer. What we do is just buy a rebuilt replacement. In other words, I can take yours, I can get the mileage off of it, the hours off of it, I can order a new one, and it comes in, and we just swap them out. And that way, it's just a direct swap out. That works out real well for everyone. It costs a little bit more to do that, but you've also got a completely repaired unit instead of just an old unit with some new stepper motors in it. Uh, right. I've seen some mixed results on some of the ones you get on the Internet. I'm not saying anything bad about any party, but I know we used to do them ourselves, and it's a pretty involved task to actually rebuild that whole instrument cluster. If you just go in and change the steppers, which is what some people do, next thing, one of the little switches will go out, or some of the light bulbs will burn out, or whatever, and you, you're right back down again. So yeah, uh, I find that's just a more practical repair. Okay. And the part for that the, uh, that you order, what is mm-hmm. the cost of the part? I don't really know, Matt. They vary depending on what you've got on it. I just have to call GM. You can call any Chevrolet dealer, give them your VIN number, and they can tell you what it would cost. Okay. And the I labor's see, not much. It's probably an hour, mm-hmm. between an hour and an hour and a half. And the difference is some have to be reprogrammed, some don't. Most of your 03s do not have to be reprogrammed. So probably close to an hour. If it does have to be programmed, you add about another half hour to it. So it's not a major labor ticket. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, good enough. Okay, man. Appreciate your help. Yes, sir. Y'all Thank have you. Have a good day. Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. That's one of those things that just came on all of a sudden and has been plaguing GM for a while now. Yeah. That well, from two thousand three up to two thousand six, they just bought a bunch of low bidder imported yeah, cheapest junk. junk they could find yeah and it's not <laughs> only the pickups although there's more pickups Chevrolet right. certainly sells more pickups and suburbans and tahoes and anything else but the malibu the impala all the gm pretty much across the line mm-hmm. across the board actually some of the others that use some gm parts like i think saab actually has the same problem right and there's even some others out there i don't know them all off the top of my head but just absolutely junk components that they installed and they They'll generally make eighty, ninety thousand 90,000 miles, and then one right. or more will start acting up. And by the time you get 100,000, they're generally out. The right. speedometer goes out usually first because it moves the most, but it could be the fuel gauge. It could be the temperature yeah. gauge. It could be the I, oil pressure gauge. I drove one the other day, and the oil pressure gauge and the fuel gauge were right. both pegged out, yeah. just wiped out. Quite a bit of problems with that. Hey, we're going back to phone lines. Wayne, good morning, Wayne. Good morning, guys. Enjoying the show. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Got a question. Got a 2005 Ford Explorer. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, it's done this several times, it'll uh, crank it early in the morning, get out, go half a block, and it just goes dead, won't crank. Engine still turns over, but it won't crank. Taking it in, they did a complete Mm tune-up, about $600 worth of Mm tune-up. They didn't replace any fuel injectors. They changed the fuel filter. Yeah, that's not going to help that. Ran well for about six months. Yeah. See, Other Wayne, day. a, a tune-up's not ever going to help anything like that. That's a total waste of money. And That's what I thought. If they tell you you need that, you're in the wrong place for sure. Tune-up is not going to only be bad after it's been running about 10 minutes and then get good the rest of the day. That tells you right there, but... Most likely, Wayne, that's going to be some kind of a sensor. It could be like a crankshaft position sensor that gets hot and opens and loses a signal. And that's one guess out of a whole bunch of guesses. I mean, it could even be a fuel pump. The windings get hot and it cuts off. I took it back to him. Tell me if you think this is – I thought this was a little absurd. Mm -hmm. I took it back to him. 
and they said it's because we're burning ethanol gas. Oh, absolutely not. No, no. And I told them, you know, I'm in the gas business. So I yeah. said, nah, I don't think that's it. It's 2005. And <laughs> no, it's designed know, to run on 10%. It was, it was a 1975, maybe. Well, and how about the first 10 minutes is running? Does it not affect yeah, it, it then? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's something that is getting hot and opening, which connotes an electrical component. Possibly, like I said, a crank sensor would be one thing that's kind of notorious for that. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the sensor, Wayne. I have seen a lot of problems with the connector that goes to the sensor, particularly if it's ever had any work done in that area. What happens a lot of times, folks will get a little rough with those connectors and they pull them apart. There's also a little rubber O-ring seals that connector. And if the last guy had unplugged it, the O-ring fell out on the ground, he didn't see it, plugged it back together, you can get some corrosion and it can do that kind of thing. Drive you crazy. But kind of hard to find, but... Yeah, they, get them to take it to your shop. Yeah, they just looking, they're barking up the wrong tree, man. Sounds like you got the wrong people working on that for sure. Yeah, you're gonna it's, ha- it's, actually, it's actually my daughter's car. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you're going to have so. to be prepared to leave that with somebody. Yeah. So it, when they can be on it when it acts up. Yeah, and especially if it happens first thing in the morning after you drive it 10 minutes, what's best would be to bring it in the night before, leave it with them. That way, first thing in the morning, they can get in and drive it and duplicate I'll tell you, it. bad it was, my daughter had it towed, uh-huh. AAA, had mm-hmm. it towed. They they got it and they cranked it up and drove it off the tow truck. Yeah, that's pretty common for that to happen. See, most things electrical, they have to get to a certain little temperature range to really be affected. And when they cool off, they start working again. Or if they get hotter, they may start working again. So that's very, very common on electrical-type components. It's going to be very difficult to find if it's not acting up. Yeah, you just have to to be prepared and wait. Yeah, but if it happens pretty frequently, we should be able to find it pretty easy. Thank you, bud. All right, man. Thanks thanks a lot. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. And we got a Wayne again. Good morning, Wayne. Morning. Good morning. I have a uh, relative, my dad, who had a little fender bender, Uh 99 Toyota Camry. Okay. And I'm looking at the damage, and I figure it's $1,500 or so. Okay. He's thinking about buying a brand-new truck, brand-new vehicle. Uh Uh-huh. And would it be to his advantage normally to trade it in without fixing the bumper and so forth? Or if it could be fixed for fifteen hundred dollars, is his advantage going to be to fix it before trading it in? Wayne, that's a good question. On a trading, you got to remember a dealership does not want that vehicle, especially a ninety-nine. It's just too old for them. right. What they're going to do is turn around and wholesale it. Now they are going to show you a trade-in, but believe me, you're not getting anything for the vehicle either way. If you went down there and made your very best deal, don't mention a trade-in. And then mention the trade, and you'll find out what you're really getting. Now, what they're going to do, they're going to say, oh, yeah, we're going to knock $5,000 off of your trade-in. But chances are, you went out with no trade, you'd have bought it 5000 off. They just don't really want a vehicle that old. Now, all of that being said, that little vehicle has a lot of worth, particularly if it's in otherwise good shape. It is. You could probably repair it and sell it yourself. car may bring three, four $4,000 pretty easily. Just because an awful lot of people want that type of car, and if it's in good shape, maybe more than that. So it would just depend. As far as a trading, I don't think you're going to really – I mean, they may make it look like you're getting something, but I don't think that you're really going to get anything trading on a new vehicle at all. The you, insurance company is going to give him a check mm-hmm. Tuesday for the value, and it'll be up to him whether he fixes it or whether not. Whether he retains it or not. Right. Yes, sir. How much were they going to pay him on the total? I'm going to just estimate 1500 Oh, on a total it out. Yeah, and if they keep the vehicle. Oh, it's probably worth three thousand. Yeah, so they're gonna give you three thousand or they'll give you fifteen hundred and you keep the vehicle. Right. And most likely they'll give him fifteen hundred dollars and he'll make a decision on whether to fix it or trade it in not fixed. 
Yeah, if he doesn't want a hassle with fixing it himself, if he's like most elderly people, he's probably not real, real good on like Craigslist and all that kind of stuff. But if you are or maybe you have someone who is, you may be able to sell the vehicle exactly like it is because there's a lot of folks out there who will buy that vehicle and repair it and drive it. But I don't think trading it in is going to be the way to go. Yeah. I don't, you know, and again, I'm, what I would do is go down. I would not mention a trade. I would make my very best deal on a new vehicle first. Then I would say, hey, I got this vehicle I want to trade in. What are you willing to give me for it? Okay. That way you see what you're really getting because they're not going to give you anything for it. But like I said, you may be able to sell it exactly like it is for more than $1,500. person who wants that vehicle, let's say we've got a guy who has one and the engine's blown up or the transmission's gone out. Well, he may buy this one just to get the motor transmission, and that's worth $2,000 to him. He swaps the motor out, puts it in his car, or vice versa, takes a fender off his car and puts on this one. And then he's up and going for a fairly reasonable amount of money. So there's all kinds of ways to go, but I don't think you're going to come out trading it in. Okay. All righty. Appreciate it. Okay, Wayne. Thanks, man. Bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break. Jimmy, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Travel my way, take the highway. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got Jimmy who's been patiently holding. Good morning, Jimmy. Hey, good morning, Louis. Thank you all for taking my call. Yes, sir. I've got, I've got a 94 S10 Blazer. Uh-huh. Old, old. Uh, all right. But it still does what I need it to do, so yes, I'm going to keep it a while. But I am sick and tired of looking at my anti-lock brake light on the dashboard. <laughs> Look, that light has been on for years. Uh -huh. Is there any way I can troubleshoot that thing myself and uh, figure out what's wrong with it? And Pretty tough, Jimmy. You'd probably be better off to take it to someone who has proper tooling and let them diagnose it, even if you want to try to fix it yourself. You know, we could diagnose that probably definitely in an hour or less, probably 30 minutes or less. Maybe simple. I mean, it could be something like a wire connection. It could be a bad speed sensor. Those, big, that, that was the first system that General Motors kind of came out with. Do you know if it's a two-wheel anti-lock brake system or four-wheel? No, I don't know. What what I do know about it is General Motors had a recall on that particular system. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been back to the dealer before I owned it, and, and that was done, but that's not all I know. What you could do, Jimmy, is look down under the master cylinder right. and see if there is a... should be a little valve with a, little a couple, valve. couple solenoids on it, or there's going to be a great big, big valve box. with a bunch of lines going into it. That'll tell you if it's two-wheel or four-wheel. Or you could look at the inside of the front wheel and see if there's a wire going into it. If there's no wire on the front wheel, then it's probably going to be two-wheel. Two-wheel. Two-wheel 
right, I've, done, I've done brakes on it before, and it did. there is a wire on the front. Okay, okay well, so it's four-wheel. Four wheel. Right. Yeah. That system is pretty complicated to try to diagnose without the proper equipment. Yeah, there's just no way for you to get the information of what's even causing the problem. The old two-wheel system was real easy. It was very few things that caused it. Most well, of them were pretty Well, you could even get a flash code out of it. Yeah, right. You could pull a flash code from the old two-wheel system, but that was their new updated four-wheel system. And it was kind of complicated when it first came well, out. when so. it first came out, it was very, very complicated. And they actually got simpler as time went on. As they started to learn more and more about it, they simplified them a great deal in later models. That one was probably one of the more difficult to diagnose. You're going to have to have a, what they call a Tech 2 or Tech 1 scan tool that can actually go in and read the data, the PID data from it. And that will tell you what areas caused. And, of course, you got to go in and do some pen tests, and you can actually figure out what component could be as simple as a loose connection, could right. be a bad sensor, could be the big module itself bad, but probably pay somebody to check it, and then if you want to fix it yourself, you could do that, or it may not be that much to fix. All right. Well, thank you all. Look, uh, before I let you all go, I want to give you all a thanks. My wife bought her little Honda Accord up there last week, had a hole in the condenser. Okay. Hole on the air conditioner. Yes, uh -huh. I remember. Mm -hmm. but, but she left there a well-satisfied customer. She was pleased with the way you all handled everything, and just want to tell you all thank you all for that. Well, she great. I'm glad to hear Really, really bad time at the dealership. We thought it might be a warranty item, and I think it took them about six hours. She shot a whole day having them just troubleshooting. Yeah, that's what they said. And, I mean, I mean, it was pretty obvious. You know, it had a hole. I mean, one look at it, you could see it pretty easy. So I don't know why it took six hours to figure out. But yeah. but she left there in a huff. I think she made an appointment with y'all, and y'all took care of it straight up. So I want to thank y'all for that. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. 499-9526, a number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we've got Craig online. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. Yes, sir. How you doing? Great. I got a 03 CRV, mm -hmm. and it vibrates at idle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where do you feel the vibration, Craig? Like in your seat or in the steering wheel, or? Yeah, pretty much. You can see the the windows half down. You can see it vibrate. Yeah, I understand. Everywhere you. I'm gonna tell you the most common thing, Craig, by wide wide measure, is that it's gonna have one or more broken motor mounts on it. And okay. if you go on my website and just go to the search bar and type in motor mount, it's gonna give you an article and shows you what motor mounts are, how they work, how to test them, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Very, very basically, you, you're pretty handy, Craig. You do some stuff yourself or no? Well, I did motor mounts on a 65 Rambler. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if you got like a floor jack, what you can do, get a piece of wood that will spread the load out, like say a piece of 2 by 6 mm -hmm. put it under the oil pan, take a little floor jack, and just jack the motor up very slightly. Mm -hmm. And if the vibration goes away, then that's what it is. Okay. Because that oh. motor, what happens, the rubber breaks and the motor kind of sits down and the metal touches metal and it starts shaking the whole car. In other words, the engine is going to shake. Engines just shake. And what they do, they isolate that from the driver with the motor mounts. The rubber absorbs it. Well, when the rubber starts to break down, it the metal touches metal and that's when the whole car starts to shake. And that's almost always the case on that particular car. I mean, there's a couple yeah. of things it could be, but that's very common on it. It might be just one or the could be one could be well there's the thing there's, about it if there's four or five on it and if one of them's bad more than likely there's two or three more that are bad now that one on the transmission the transmission mounts usually last a good long while but the one on the front of the motor by the belt and then there's one on each side one by the core support and then one back under by the rack and pinion that usually go out yeah pretty easy one pretty on the quick. right hand side i think up by the top by the, by the timing front. cover that goes out a lot too. right but those three give the most trouble 65,000 miles, it, 
I guess that's normal. Well, pseudo-normal. Yeah. i got to say, Honda's a pretty good vehicle. If they got one problem that's recurring, it's motor, motor mounts. mounts. We do a lot, a lot, a lot of motor mounts on Hondas. I mean, they just seem to have a little problem with that. The Odyssey, for one, seems to eat motor mounts. Yeah, yeah, and the newer ones are worse than the old ones were, but that just seems to be Honda and Acura both have trouble with that. And well, other than that, pretty good vehicle right. overall, you know. It would take me all day. Do you know what? how long it would take you all day? It's about a three-and-a-half, yeah. four-hour job. Change them all. Okay. All righty. Bye-bye. Right. Right. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I, we would certainly love to have you. Motor mounts are one of those things that has gotten progressively more complicated and more expensive. There are fluid-filled mounts now, hydraulic mounts, or even electronic mounts. Right. They have valving and stuff in them. And with all of that complexity, they hadn't gotten one bit better. <laughs> I had a 67 Camaro and probably putting out 800 horsepower. And I think I ran that car five or six seasons and never changed the motor balance. That's <laughs> it. But nowadays you got... I don't know, it just seems like 60, 70, 80,000 miles. We're putting motor mounts on cars real, yeah, real regular. They, they're all kind of different designs now. The way they're made, they just they don't hold up like they used to. Yeah. And, of course, the first sign is generally that you can start getting a lot of vibration in the car. Next thing, you may get some thumping or bumping noise. When you accelerate. Accelerate a let off because right. that motor kind of picks up and, and drops down. So, Especially the one on the Honda by the drive belts. That yeah. one seems to be the one that always goes out, and it's relatively easy to change. Mm-hmm. There's also another one up front by the core support, yeah, which well, is, goes out. The engine's torquing up, pulling on that one. Very constantly. difficult and the to other change. One is a tar- and on the Toyota, the same thing, that front mount where the engine torques over. Right, it's Constantly pulling on pulls it. on that one. But, yeah, that's a problem on the Honda and the Acura product both. Right. They have a lot of trouble with that. Hey, Mike, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things I'm tired of. I'm tired of reality TV. There's nothing real about it. I'm tired of all those housewives, the Kardashians, the brides, the bachelors, celebrities, and rehab. Here's an idea. Let's ship all the Flavor Flav, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for 500 bucks and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we've got Mike's been patiently holding. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a 98 Dodge Ram 2500 two-wheel drive. Okay. And it seems to be shifting out of first at kind of a high RPM, around okay. 2500. Yes, sir. Is there something that is that a problem? Yeah. Is that yeah, that's a problem, Mike. The most common reason for that is what they call the throttle position sensor. They have a pretty high failure rate on that part, and that's one of the main inputs to the computer. I can't guarantee you that's it, but that is certainly one of the most common things we see. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the sensor itself is bad because the connector to the sensor gives a lot of trouble. In fact, if memory serves me, there's actually a bulletin out where you can add an additional ground to the harness to try to help with that problem. 
And not only will it delay that first shift, it may even give you sort of a shift hunting sensation at a certain speed. If you give it a little bit of gas, it'll kind of downshift, and it kind of hunts up and down. Not all of them do that, but some of them do. And some people also report like an erratic idle. There's the idle speed may kind of go up and down slightly when it's the same issues. And again, not all of them do all the same things. That's by far the most common thing. Now, a secondary matter that's also fairly common on that vehicle is second gear is enabled by a band on that transmission. And that band wears, and it has to be adjusted. And when you do a proper transmission service, you adjust that band. If that band is worn too much, it's going to delay going to second gear because it's trying to tighten up that servo and it can't engage that drum. Now, that will result in the transmission failing. So... I would probably, if it hasn't been serviced properly, I would probably get it in and have a transmission service and a band adjustment done. At the same time, they can check the reading on the throttle position sensor and see, and probably between those two is about 80% you're going to fix that problem. Is it an electrical sensor or is it a uh, yes. cable? Yes, there's no cables at all in a modern vehicle. Okay, well, I'll uh, have it tested out. Then. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Fire, we'd love to have you. And we got Brian online. Good morning, Brian. Morning, 2003 Ford Explorer. Uh-huh. And I got a, a question about the brakes and a, another question about the transmission. Okay. But, uh, as far as the brakes, I've noticed for quite some time that when I'm driving down the road and I'm mm-hmm. changing lanes or going over the reflectors, I got a rattle. And the, it sounds like it's coming from the back, so I finally figured out what it was. I, t- I can t- actually take the caliper and rock it just a little bit. It's got a little bit of play in it. So I okay. made sure everything was tight, the, the slide pins, mm-hmm. uh, everything is, uh-huh. is good. But when I rock it like that, I can see Duplicate the pad. There's a very easy way to diagnose that problem. What's that? Next time you get on the road, you hit the reflector, you can make it make the noise. Oh, okay. Get off the reflector, apply a little bit of brake pressure, and hit the reflector again. If the noise goes away, what you've done is you've tightened that caliper up a little bit and took the slack out of it. So if the noise goes away, you're almost dead set in the brakes. If the okay. noise does not go away, then you can almost forget about the brakes and start looking for something else that's loose. Yeah, you may have some slack in that caliper, but that right. may not be the noise I've, you got. I've seen slack in the calipers before not cause a problem. And sometimes it and does. And sometimes so it does. It just, if you, if you, you try got to, that, that'll isolate whether right. you're looking for a brake problem or, or whether you see the, the rear stabilized bar end links on that vehicle are also notorious for that same kind of a problem. And what you do there is just temporarily disconnect them, tape them up out of the way, go drive it, hit the bump again, see if the noise is gone. But okay. to get back to your issue, if it is the caliper, I think that slide pin doesn't it have O-rings. I'd have to look at that one. That I, one's got a slide pin with a bushing, I think. I think the, the boot actually provides the, the cushion. That's yeah, why you got I, that I, much I've had flex in it. Before and there's mm-hmm. I don't recall there being O rings in it. When I rock the caliper, mm-hmm. I can make it make that noise. Okay. Well, but again, like you're, you're making it make a noise, but right. whether or not yeah. it's the noise. See, that's what you gotta be certain of because it is normal for them to have a certain amount of movement. And if you grab the caliper and shake it, you may be able to get a noise. But you oh. just don't know if that's the noise you're hearing or not. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think that was, I didn't know that was normal for it to actually move a little bit. It will move it some. Will, it now, has to. Again, it can also make some noise if it's moving excessively. But I would just, like Brian said, take it out, get it where it's doing it, just touch the brakes lightly. You know, you don't apply them, but just lightly put your foot on the pedal. If noise goes away, then that's probably it. If the noise does not go away, then that's not it. It's going to be something else. If that is it, you can take the caliper off, take the brake pads out. There should be a metal shim between the brake caliper bracket and where the pad rides. On top and the bottom, little metal clip that will take. Oh the, yeah, yeah. Those, I, it, I, I can actually see the pad 
moving around inside that clip okay also. yeah and see that could also be a set of aftermarket pads brian if it's oh, not it the original it forward is. pads they don't fit right. they're notorious for that they just it's not stamped right no i've i've put aftermarket yeah well, i knew you were going to say that yeah, yeah first thing pro- i would yeah. do if you do the test it is definitely a caliper problem there's definitely a brake problem the first thing i do is go buy a set of forward pads make sure all the clips and shims are present lubricate everything put it back together and you probably get rid of your noise Okay. Another question about again about the brakes is mm-hmm. I've noticed lately it doesn't do it all the time. Most of the time the brakes are fine. I do know that my front rotors are warped a little. Uh-huh, I can uh-huh. tell that when I'm stopping. Yes, sir. But when I am just getting on the brakes, a, a normal you know I'm not getting on them hard. Yes, sir. Sometimes it makes a it's kind of a grinding noise. Yeah, it sounds almost like, like it's metal on like, metal. Well, no, not like that. Kind of a the growl, almost like yeah, a almost band. a grunt like, growl type yeah, noise. Yeah. yeah, again, that goes back to the aftermarket pads, right? Man. They're they're uh, just notorious for that. And I can tell you, if you're running aftermarket pads on the front, you're going to constantly have yeah. rotor warpage problems. Yeah, they they just not the right pads. Not going to take the, the heat right out the rotor. They're going to make noise. They don't fit right. I mean, there's a reason why they are aftermarket. And I've heard you say that. Lot, oh yeah, right, that's, yeah. I'm waiting for the probably till next week till the Ford dealer opens. Yeah, I understand. Too. And see, when you go to a dealer, be real, real careful because they're going to try to sell you a set of motor craft pads that is not forward pads that is an aftermarket pad and motorcraft box you want a blue box forward pad it's going to have the word forward written on it and be sure you tell them i want the original equipment pad and take the front rotors that are on a vehicle now off and put new ones on there do do not have those turned yeah it's not going to help yeah, I've always done I mean, I've warped them before, and it's yep. cheap enough just to put new rows. Exactly. exactly. And exactly. what happens, they warp at full thickness, and when you turn them, you're making them thinner. So yeah, it's just coming right, right back with right. a vengeance. Okay, now well, one more quick question. Yeah. Um, on the transmission, i got to do a, the service on it. Okay. Um, when I pull the pan, drain whatever fluid will come out and pull the filter, When uh, you know, this doesn't have a dipstick. So when I pump the new fluid in, mm-hmm. I've read and heard different things about how to make sure it's full, you know, like driving it around so many miles. Yes, sir. You have to be to a, a completely warmed up. There's a special tool to actually fill that thing. It screws into that hole and you pump it in and you right. put the proper amount in. But then you have to drive it, get it at full operating temperature. And it has to be perfectly level. You take the little plug out the center of the big plug. And when you do, whatever runs out is too much. Okay. It's going to self-level. But how do I know later on, like, you know, a day later I'm driving it around. How do I know it's totally... Because you did it right the other day, and it hasn't, and it hasn't leaked any out. You want right. Ford smart answer? Yeah. <laughs> if it ain't leaking, leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> but no, there's no, no way to check it other not. than that. You have to be on a perfectly level surface, which is hard to elevate it on a level surface because the average do-it-yourselfer doesn't have a way to do that. We've well, got a front-end rack we can put it on, which is perfectly yeah. level. We can get under it. But there's two plugs. you got a big plug, which will drain all your fluid, and you got a little plug in the center, which has a tube on it, which goes up to just the right height. If you go to my website, I've got an article on that. It shows you a picture of how it works and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I basically just inspect it for leaks. If it's not leaking, you assume it's full. Right. All data actually gives a, a specific temperature to check that transmission Yeah, that's at. what I read on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I was concerned about is having it the right temperature. You I mean, can get one of those little infrared thermometers. Yeah, uh-huh. that's what we use. Just yeah, take an infrared okay. thermometer and check the bottom of the pan. And a lot of your newer ones, you can actually go in with a scan tool and read the temperature on it. Right. So it tells you whether oh, okay. it's full temperature. But, I mean, basically, if you drive it for 20 minutes, it's going to be full temperature. And just should I go through all the gears and everything? Before yeah, I just drive it normal it for normal about, drive. about 20 minutes. It'll be around oh. 175 degrees, which is normal operating temperature. Okay. All righty. All right. All right, thanks. Okay, a lot. Brian. All right, thanks, sir. man. Bye bye. Hey, if you guys ever mm-hmm. come out to California, maybe you could open a shop out here, huh? Oh, okay. You call me California, great. Brian? Yeah, Central California. Oh, okay, well, hold on. I'll get producer to get your name and your address. We'll get you an Agco t-shirt out that way. Oh, okay. Thank hey, you. Thanks, man. All hold right. on.
499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we're going live with Margaret. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. I have a 2003 Toyota Corolla, mm-hmm. and uh, the engine light came on, and the dealer said, your catalytic converter has failed. Okay. Gave me a price. And very I, high. <laughs> I was very shocked. Yeah, uh, I hope they were are. sitting down. Yeah, they are expensive. Okay. So 1500 is That's average. about the price, I think. And not hardly any labor on that, Margaret. It's probably an hour, maybe two hours labor to change it. But the part is very expensive. Now, you got to watch. I don't know what engine you've got in that one, but a lot of Toyotas have more than one converter on them. And some of them have a fairly inexpensive converter on the front bank and a more expensive one underneath. And you just have to be able to diagnose for sure which one it is because the one on the front bank is about $350 for the part and about an hour and a half labor to change it. The other one is about $1,000. And you got to watch some. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but sometimes they try to shotgun you because they can't figure out which one it is. They just charge you for both of them. And they know that's going to fix it, but you pay a lot more than you necessarily have to. So you might get a second opinion. The only thing you absolutely do not want to let anybody talk you into, they do make what they call aftermarket converters, which are cheaper. Absolutely will not work. You're throwing your money away. You're going to spend about seven or $800 on something that's going to last about six months, and you have to put the Toyota one back anyway. Okay. So is this an urgent repair to fix? Or? Well, it's kind of like locking the gate after the horse is out. You know, you were trying to prevent that from happening. It's already happened. The only urgency to me is that now you check engine light is on, so you're ignoring it. If something else happens, you won't know. And you can't get a state inspection with a light on. Right. right. You, you will not right. be an inspector, but it's right. kind of like if your fire alarm keeps going off and you start ignoring it. Yeah. And then your house catches on fire and you burn it down. <laughs> okay. okay. So yeah. from that respect, it's important. But you are kind of, the converter is what you're trying to protect with the check engine light. Yeah. And the damage is done. Now, let me just ask you this. You do have more than 80,000 miles on it? Oh, yes. Okay. I was pretty sure you did. But yeah. that has an eight-year, 80,000-mile warranty on that converter. Oh, okay. Let's get to that. All righty. All right. Love your show. Yes, Thank ma'am. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to hear from you. We got Doug online. Good morning, Doug. Good morning. Good morning. I have a 2003 Chevrolet Suburban uh-huh. that when you get going down the road and it makes a roar and noise. Uh-huh. At first, I thought it was the tires, but mm-hmm. as soon as you let off the accelerator, the noise goes away. Yeah. Okay. It's fine. It doesn't sound like a, yeah. feel like a transmission problem. No, it ain't. no it's, it it's going to be further back. Yep. going to be the rear differential. Be the rear differential. The differential? Yes, yes sir. sir. You, you gave it away. When you let off the gas and, and it quits, that's going to be the differential pinion bearings are, are going out in it. Fairly common on those. What, you got about 130,000, 140,000 miles? Yeah, probably about 115. Yeah, a little, a little, a little early. early, but again, happened. what happens is you're supposed to change the oil in that rear differential. Chevrolet says 100,000 miles. I think that's blue sky estimate, but I like to change that oil around 75,000, and that can sometimes help prevent this, but... You're going to be into a fairly major repair. You're going to have to go in and replace the pinion bearings, the carrier bearings, and the axle bearings and seals at very least. Because when one of the bearings comes apart, it gets in the fluid. The fluid lubricates every bearing in that differential. Right. Therefore, it's getting oil and the off-metal from the bad bearing. Now, the worst part is if you continue to drive it, Doug, when that bearing goes out, it throws two gears out of mesh. And so it eats up the ring and pinion. And you can dump about another $800 on top of the bill because you're going to have to put a ring and pinion in it. And if you don't, the noise will stay there even if you change the bearings. And that right. happens pretty rapidly. All right. Well, it's the second vehicle. I don't drive it that often, mm-hmm. but 
mostly trips and all, but mm-hmm. so what kind of cost secondary damage? Way up there. <laughs> by, yeah. by two grand. Is it really? Yes, yes sir. sir. Way up there. And you won't be able to keep driving it because it will eventually break, and when it does, it's going to make all kind of racket, tear the housing up, and then you pretty much total the vehicle. So it's something that's going to have to be fixed if you're going to keep driving okay. it. And, and there's also the point of the bearings wearing the axles out also. So right. you may be looking into a set of axles yeah. and gears it and bearings. It just keeps getting worse and right. worse and worse. If just snowballs. Real quick, if it hadn't been doing it very long, you may get by with just a set of bearings. You'd be down on eight $900 for something like that. It just depends on how far it's gone, you know. And the thing about right. it, when you go to have it fixed, once it's opened... You're committed. Yeah. You need to be ready to spend that two grand. Yeah, you got to be ready because when the shop takes it apart and all the bearings fall all over the floor, they can't just say, oh, we'll put it back together. And that don't happen that way. So right. you got to be kind of ready because they're not going to know the total extent until they get it down. So worst case scenario, you need to be ready for. Yeah, I generally quote a low, a high, and an average to people and explain real clearly up front that, hey, once we go in, we're committed. We can't back up. So I know it's not what you want to hear. So you kind of stuck no, between a rock no. and a hard place, but that's the truth of it. Right. What, what's your opinion on possibly finding uh, models. You're not going to find it. Mm-mm. And if you do, they're going to charge you. Use rear end for that truck will probably fetch about two grand because of the problem with them and because there's a lot, you know, they, Supply they, can, and demand. they can get that, right? Because right. a lot of people let it go and it eats up the housing, so they're looking at a $4,000 repair, so they're tickled to death to pay 2000 for a user in. Right. So well, re- repairing what, yours is going to be the lower cost option if it hadn't gone too far. Right. What year could go up to that if I were to get lucky and find something like it from an 03 the rear end. There's piles of different ones, man. There's so many options on that thing. There are different gear ratios. There's different ABS ratios and all that kind of stuff. You just have to talk to the junkyard. But I can tell you from somebody who's looked many, many, many times, there are none out there. And when you find them, they're high, high dollar. All righty. All right. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Sir. Bye-bye. You have a good day. All right. Thank you. Take our last little quick break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Drills, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We still got a few more minutes if you want to go ahead and give us a call. In case you just don't get a chance to call in or something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always get your question answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week on our website. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is to take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company. That will get you to our site. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, and sometimes get it back soon. Sometimes it <laughs> might be 
overnight? Or you will always get it always back within 24 hours, no matter what. Even when I'm on vacation, like last week, we took a little cruise out of New Orleans. We uh-huh. had Cozumel, and I was, I was sitting there on the cruise ship. And I got to say, I got to give it to Cornwall. They had a pretty fast internet connection. Really? Yeah, I didn't use up half my minutes because I'm so used to those dial slow, oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I this, remember. This ship actually had a pretty fast connection. I was able to handle all my email really oh, They long. must be dragging a cable with them. Oh, I guess, man. I tell you, it was almost <laughs> like being at home. You know, pop, pop it in there and the way it would go. But yeah, I always get, if I happen to be at work, work or at home working on the computer i usually will answer it within just a matter of minutes worst case scenario if you send it after about 8 30 at night i'm usually in bed sleeping so yeah. you won't get it till about five o'clock next morning when i get up so <laughs> you always get asked for me real quick and while you're on the site lots of other things to do pop on the detail topics lots of those on there that's where it's just a ton of information on any given subject put one on last week and this week as a two-part article on bolts and tightening bolts and threads and that's one of those things that most people say, well, I know all about that. Yeah, you think you do. You think you do until you go in there and start reading up all the different grades and pitches. and Each one is designed for a different job. That's right. And uh, if you ask the average fella, how, why does one bolt use coarse thread and one bolt use fine thread? Uh-huh. They have no idea. Okay. And this article will tell you why. I'm not going to give right. it away. you got to go read gotta the article. got to go read the article. <laughs> <laughs> of course, talking about torque to yield bolts and stuff like that, which is the I guess relatively new technology, been out about eight, ten years. Uh-huh. That's where the bolts are actually torqued beyond their elastic limits to where it deforms the bolt. And those are not tightened with a torque wrench. They are pre-tensioned with a torque wrench, but then they're tightened with a degree meter. Correct. A much, much more, more accurate. accurate way of tensioning a bolt. So it goes into a little bit of that, tells you how all that works. And, and a lot of those, once you stretch that bolt like that, it's done for. If that's it comes right. back out, it goes in the trash. You, when you replace it, again, like when you go to replace your head gaskets on any kind of a modern car, you have to replace the torque bolts because they're torque to yield. Correct. And it's more and more suspension bolts that way, particularly Ford uses that quite a bit. They do. And it is not safe to reuse any of those fasteners. I know they look big and bulky and all that. They have it stamped right on the bolt. Yeah, do, not the do not reuse. Do not reuse. And they mean it. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that and lots of other things. Pop on there, see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O A U T O.com. I think you'll really like it. And we got Ken online. Good morning, Ken. Hey, Lewis. How are you? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Lewis, uh, I've got a 01 Tahoe, you know, one of those extra cars to haul stuff around in. Doesn't get driven a whole lot. Uh-huh. But uh, I get a low coolant light on it every now and then, and you open it up, look at it, coolant's not low, okay. you know, that kind of thing. Yes, sir. I'm wondering, that sensor, I mean, what, what do you yes, think? Yes, yeah, there's a sensor in the reservoir, coolant reservoir. It's notorious for going out and causing that problem, Ken. It is non-serviceable. Yeah, you have to okay. replace the reservoir to get it. But it's not right. that bad. I want to say it's about a $60 part. It takes about 10, 15 minutes to change it. But you have to replace the reservoir, the sensor's inside, and that's what causes that. So can I do it, or can I go? Like a no, no, you yeah. have to go back to the dealer to get that. Uh, okay. It's going to be the only source of supply on it. Okay. All right, good. That's All right. Good. That's the solution. I appreciate you guys. Thanks. All right, Ken. Thanks, All right. man. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Four nine 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 five two six. We used to see those quite a bit. I hadn't seen one in a while. It has been. I guess they're getting older now. Those vehicles aren't as many of them on the road. The ones that have survived this long are going to make it on out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's kind of like selective processing there. All the weak ones are gone. That's it. <laughs> Any of them that's made it this long are going to make it from here on out. But, yeah, we used to change those quite a bit, and you had to buy the reservoir to get it. I know Cadillac uses a similar setup, and we still change quite a few of those uh, right. reservoirs to get that little sensor it's a nice feature. It kind of warns you if your coolant is getting low. But, of course, it's kind of a little boy that cried wolf if you can't trust it. Exactly. And for 100 years now, we've been checking coolant without a, a little sensor to help us out. That's so right. 
It's just all in what you're used to working on and what you're used to dealing with. Well, that's right. You know, more and more and more, they're adding all these sensors and lights and all. Some of them, I think, are practical purposes, and they do help people. Some of them just tend to aggravate people or scare people. Right. One is like the maintenance-required light that they've added to a lot of cars now, and that is not a problem. That is not a light that comes on to indicate a issue with the car. Uh-huh. It just comes on every so many miles. But right. the average person, the average driver, doesn't you know not aware of that. Right. They see a yellow light on and think, on. oh, boy, it's, it's, something's wrong. Well, particularly ladies who are driving by themselves. Maybe they're out at night with the car, and wham, this light pops on. Well, that's kind of horrifying to it me. It is. You don't know, okay, is my car going to stop? What, what's, what's going on? And to me, that is sort of a technology that is perverted to where it bothers people. Right. And if you're going to put that on, at least make the client well aware that this is on here. It is not a problem. It merely means that you require maintenance and you need to get in as soon as possible. So it's not something that is going to stop your car from running. Right. And what I would suggest, we used to suggest this a lot. There wasn't very much information in an owner's manual when you got your vehicle. Mm -hmm. But now they're real thick book now. But you really need to sit down and just kind of peruse through the the lights and And the dash workings and stuff. Most people like me, I'm not going to sit there and read an inch and a half book to drive a car. No. (laughs) No. That's why I suggested just a section on the instruments and things like that. At very least, familiarize yourself with the warning lights. And if nothing else, if you got a regular shop that services your car, I know lots of people come to us, and that was one of the things we covered in the auto awareness class, which we're going to have to put one of those on pretty we soon. We need to. It's been a while. A lot of people have been requesting it. But what all those warning lights mean, because there's just a bevy of them on there now. you got traction control. you got tire pressure monitoring. Skid you got control. Skid control. Right. On and on and on and on and on. Just as a very general rule, if the light is yellow or orange, it means caution. Uh-huh. That means that's something that's going to be a problem, but it's not going to stop the car. If the light is red, then that's going to be a problem. Right now, you got to stop. Exactly. For instance, the oil pressure light is red. Correct. The coolant temperature light is red. The brake light is brake red. brake light is red. That right. means stop the car, call a wrecker, call your friend, do what you got to do. The yellow one's like a check engine light, means service it soon. Correct. And we got to get on out of here. We're just about squandered another perfectly good hour. <laughs> like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes, and give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate it when you give us a written rating. It kind of makes our day, and we really would like to see you do that if you could. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.